As we start today, we are in the book of Habakkuk, and this is uh, our survey through the scripture. I hope and pray you have enjoyed so far uh, where we have been. I made a joke the other night. Here's how, uh, here's how much this has affected my life. I made a joke the other night with my family, and uh, the, my, my girls had said something, and I can't remember exactly the context, but I said, I wish Amos would write you a letter. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, because he was straight to the point. There was no mess around with him. He was just to it. And they were like, you're, you're, you're a little obsessed with this study. I was like, it's too good. It's too good. So I want to thank you for allowing me to walk through all this with you. Um, Habakkuk, is a, a, this is a very, very unique book. It is an interesting book uh, because of the person of Habakkuk. We don't know much about him, uh, his background or anything. We do know uh, that he's got probably a contemporary of the, the prophet Jeremiah. So we know that kind of that may be around the time he was uh, living in. Uh, he wrote much about the rising power of Babylon and he struggled with it. Here's a guy that I love in Scripture because he has a problem. And he has a major issue and doesn't know what to do with it. And so uh, this is a, a beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, we know that he was a prophet to Judah. And whenever the prophecy, uh, the prophecy came true, the prophecy came to fruition uh, several decades after he spoke it. So he spoke it and then he did not see the answer, right? He did not see it. It was several decades later that the prophecy came to fruition that God um, uh, fulfilled this prophecy. He had doubts. Uh, as I said, this, this man had doubts. He struggled with the thought that God would use people that were more vile than, than, than the Jewish nation. He had problems that God was going to say, the people that are more vile, I'm going to use an, as an instrument to, to judge and to punish my people. Habakkuk could not get his mind wrapped around this. He's like, God, this is not, this doesn't make sense. The Jewish nation, yes, they're bad, but the, Babylon, but the Babylonians are even worse. Why would you use an even worse people to punish a people that aren't so bad? So Habakkuk struggled with this. We're going to see this through these three chapters, um, how Habakkuk is, uh, is, is dealing with it. It's a more, you know, the, Babylon, the Babylonians were more godless people than Judah, yet God was going to use them. Um, we, here's, here's what I, I love about Habakkuk. I considered, as, we were, as I was planning the, um, and, and listening and praying about my preaching schedule for the 2024 year, uh, there's, a, there's a spot in there that I think that Habakkuk fits. And, um, and there's a reason for it because he is a, he is a man who um, has a massive struggle with something internally in his, in his heart and his mind. He can't reason this out. And so what we find in the pages of Habakkuk's prophecy is what happens whenever a man has a problem and he's got these doubts and these struggles uh, but ultimately, he goes to God for the answer. He doesn't go to the world for the answer. And it's a powerful thing that we should all learn from. Uh, the reason that I think Habakkuk is one of the most unique of the minor prophets, they all have a uniqueness to them. Okay, so each minor prophet was for a different time, for a different place. Uh, even, if they were, even if they were prophesying to the same uh, spot, like Nineveh, for instance, you had Nahum and you had Jonah, both uh, prophesying to Nineveh, but very different times and, and then different responses. So they each, each of the minor prophets have a unique spot, but Habakkuk's is the only one, this is so crazy and unique, that 
even though um, a lot of the other prophets address themselves to the people of Israel or Judah or Edom or Nineveh or Babylon, Habakkuk addresses himself to God. It's different. He's addressing himself to God. He's because he has some problems and some struggles. These other prophets address themselves to, you know, here it is to Assyria. Here it is to, to Edom. Here it is to, to Israel or to Judah. Habakkuk says, here I am to you, God. Here I am to you. So God, God is, is speaking through Habakkuk while Habakkuk's not even talking to the people. He's trying to talk to God. He's like, God, I, I'm struggling with this. And God's like, write this down. And he's like, okay, I'm writing this down, but help me. Help me figure this out. This is an honest, real guy who says, I can't figure you out, and I, I want to. I want to know. So it's a very, very unique book. His name means to embrace. That's what his name means. And the way this book is written out, uh, I think it shows how he, Habakkuk, was taking his arms and wrapping them around the people of Judah, even though he had doubts. And here's where I have, I have had a new and even more beautiful understanding of where Habakkuk is as a person. I, we went through some, some grief a few years ago. Everybody in this room knows it. Anybody who knows me knows it. Uh, whenever we lost my dad. Well, the, the night it happened, I had to go home. My wife and I had to leave the hospital and go home and see our kids. And our kids, we had to tell them and explain to them what happened. That, uh, that this was over, that now we are, we are going to um, uh, you know, walk through this season together. And so whenever I explained to my kids what had happened in the hospital that night, they, they immediately, what, what is going on? What, this doesn't make any sense. We can't, why? And they begin weeping. As a father, I had the same questions. I don't know why. And I'm struggling. So what did I do as a father? I embraced my children. We cried together. We just sat there in my, in my den floor and I held one kid, my wife held the other, and then we all held each other. And I, I see Habakkuk as, if his name means embrace, I look at it, he struggled with the answers to the questions. He was like, this answer doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand it. But what I do know is we're going to be okay because God's still in control. Do you know some of the things I said to my daughters that night? I don't understand this, but God's still in control. He's still on the throne. I don't, I can't. I don't know why. I don't know how. I, I, can't, I can't make sense of this. There's no way the world's going to be a better place without him. Yet, I don't, I don't know it. So all I know to do is just hug you. That's all I know to do. Habakkuk, in these, in these three chapters, gives this very intense uh, personal battle and struggle as he goes through this. We're going to look at this very simply. There's three chapters. We're going to look at it in three parts. It's broken up this way. The first chapter... I believe this is where we see Habakkuk questioning things. He is questioning. Uh, he is asking a lot of questions. He doesn't, make, he doesn't understand much. Uh, the second chapter, we're going to look at him learning. And then the third chapter, we're going to look at him winning. So the first one, uh, we're going to look at chapter 1. Uh, this begins as uh, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. But he says in verse number 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and, wi and will you not hear? Or cry to you, violence and you will not save. He says in these first two verses, the first verse just says, here's the oracle that was given to Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is, again, he's addressing God. 
He's not addressing the people. He's addressing God. One of the only prophets in, we'll find in Scripture that his whole prophecy, he's talking to God. He's not, he's not trying to figure out. He says in these couple of verses, um, even in verse 3, uh, will you not make, make me, uh, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence before me, strife and contention arise. Verse 4, so the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surrender to the righteous. The justice, so justice goes forth perverted. Here's what he's saying in these verses. We, we have gone so far away from you, not even the law can bring us back. Which to a, to a man who reveres the word, the law itself should bring enough condemnation on us that we want to adjust our life. Because we realize that the law of God is perfect and holy, and because the law is good, that should, that should show us what bad is, right? So even Habakkuk says, even the law, can't, you, you, people aren't getting, aren't getting punished for the things that they're doing wrong. We're not even working around the law. The law is breaking this, it's going, uh, it's not bringing us back to you. Habakkuk says, so what do we do? How long is this going to happen? I'm struggling here, God. You are, are you turning your back on us? He says, why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence before me. He says, why are you... It's like your presence is not here anymore, is what Habakkuk is saying. He says, this is such a tough spot. The law can't bring us back. He, this is one of the saddest phrases. Has God turned his back? He's not hearing us. He's not listening. Why are you not listening to me, God? Can you not hear me? Am I all alone here? That's how to begin a, a, a prophecy to a people, and you're, you're starting with these strong words. He says, look, I see, I see wickedness around me. I see destruction. I see violence. I see contention. He, he was crying to God with this honest heart. One of the things I love about Habakkuk is he's not trying to make it religious. He's not using church terms. He's not using any kind of special. He says, God, I feel like you've turned your back on me. All I see all the time is violence. All I see all the time is destruction. Why are you letting me see all this? Are you not going to do anything? What's happening? What is going on? And then verse 5, it says, the Lord answers. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. This is where God answers Habakkuk. This is one of those, I thought about it during our prayer request time earlier. Uh, God doesn't, doesn't delay here. He answers right on the spot. Habakkuk is crying out, God, I don't understand. I see all these wickedness, see all these problems. And before Habakkuk spirals too long, God answers him. He says, because you've come to me honestly, because you've come to me with this broken, humble heart, because you want to know and connect with me, I'm going to answer you right now. And so he answers him right in that moment. He says, look around, see. He says, I, I believe that there is um, this uh, uh, God, he answers him and he challenges. One of the things that's challenged is um, whenever Habakkuk, I think, teeters on this line, and we're going to look at it here in just a moment. He's, he's, he's kind of back and forth on this line just a little bit. He's really, really close to blaming God for something, and he's really, really close to just uh, uh, kind of freaking out. And one of the things that God does here is he challenges the skepticism that's in Habakkuk. I don't know about you, but whenever I go through any type of situation, I, I have a, a bit of a skeptic mind. I'm like, I don't know if I believe that, right? I don't know if this makes any sense to me. I need it to make sense before I have peace. 
One of the things I prayed for Miss Pat yesterday, uh, whenever she was in the hospital, I said uh, she was just she was she was weeping. She was very very uh, anxious, and so I just began to pray for God's peace. And one of the things that I've learned is she said uh, she was saying the the family was saying if I don't have to if 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 I find out I don't have to have surgery, I'll have peace, right? That makes sense, right? That makes sense to us. If I can understand what's about to happen, then I'll have peace. But see, the Bible tells us that God gives us peace that surpasses understanding. I no longer pray for understanding. I pray for a peace that surpasses it. Because understanding can only bring me so much peace. But God's peace can bring me more than my understanding. Habakkuk is in a place. He wants to reason it out. And God says, I'm going to challenge your skepticism. I'm going to tell you uh, that everybody's attention will be, look here. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. He says, there is no doubt. I I love how um, he says that... uh, uh, I'm doing a work in your days. That You know, Paul quoted this in the book of Acts. A couple of spots he quoted this text when he says, God is doing a work among you. Now, he was talking about a little different context, uh, a little different uh, situation that was going on. But it was ultimately, God is doing a work among you. It's so awesome, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. Now, I'll say this. The, the prayer slash praise report that I said earlier with my friend who's about to have this surgery who needs encouragement, and then who uh, God had brought an answer by a person being next to him that didn't live here uh, three month, four months ago. I mean, God, God moved this person. If God would have told me a year ago that, that what he was doing, that sound, it sounds ridiculous. If God would have told me, hey, you're going to have a friend who's going to need brain surgery, and then you're going to have a guy that you don't know yet, but he's going to be your friend, and um, I'm gonna, in fact, I'm going to move him from, from 600 miles away. I'm going to move him. He's going to live here. And then he's going to be so ingrained in your church culture that he's going to go, he's going to serve as a missionary wherever he's at. And so he's going to go to this job that I'm going to connect this guy to. We're going to put him together. If God were to tell me that a year ago, I'd have said, That's okay, maybe that sounds, that's a little bit too far-fetched. God says, my, my plans, my ways are so much bigger than yours. Just trust me, I'm doing a work. I'm doing something amazing. He says, listen, I was so big, you wouldn't even believe it. You would not believe it. Um, I think in this text, uh, whenever he's speaking specifically to Habakkuk, I can relate it to my life very easily, and all of us can. God is doing a work in your life. You say, well, I just don't see it. I just can't, I just can't. He's like, he doesn't show you right now because you wouldn't believe it if you saw it. He's talking to Habakkuk in this season, and I believe it's for the fall of the Assyrian Empire. Up to this point, they were the most powerful in the whole world. Uh, We know about Nineveh. We know about how the Assyrians were just brutal, treacherous, most powerful people in the history of the world. How could they ever fall? There's no way. If he were to tell Habakkuk in this place, uh, Assyria is going to fall. Habakkuk would have been like, "Uh, have you seen Assyria? They are way too big to fall. Are you crazy? This doesn't make any sense. Um, when it's being said to the people, listen, he says, uh, uh, for number six, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. This is the Babel, the Babylonians. Chaldeans are also the, the people of Babylon. And here's where, uh, this is a great prophecy for us to understand. The Assyrians were known 
for the brutality of the way they treated people. The Babylonians were known for utter destruction of cities. The Babylonians, if you remember, were the ones that took over Nineveh, and we talked about last week with Nahum, they were going to come in and make Nineveh not even, not even uh, memorable anymore. You wouldn't even know where the place of Nineveh st stood. You would not know the place of it. That's how the Babylonians came in. He says, this people, they're a bitter and hasty nation. They march through the breadth of the earth and sweet seize dwellings not their own. They take over places and demolish and devour these, these things. Uh, and and he says, it's not going to be a short time. It's going to happen. And one of the things that if you were to ask Habakkuk in this moment, here's what we have to realize. It wasn't like the Babylonians were coming up to do it. This, was, this wouldn't happen for several decades, several decades. And so he's hearing this. He would have probably thought if you were to say, well, maybe instead of Chaldeans, you really meant Egypt, right? Egypt is really a bigger threat to Assyria than the Chaldeans. They they're not even, they're not, they're barely on the map. What are you talking about, God? Instead, he says, this is what's happening. So to kind of give us a little context of where we are, he's, he's, he's telling Habakkuk things that Habakkuk, it's hard for him to understand. He's like, the Chaldeans, they're, they're bitter and nasty, but they're not strong enough to take out Assyria. They're not strong enough to really take that out. But they're, they're, vi they're nasty people. They're, they're people that are awful, awful people. Assyria was known for killing, brutally killing people. The Babylonians were known for, cap for capturing people, right? We know that because this is before the captivity, because Babylon ended up coming in and, ca and, and taking the people of Israel hostage, taking the Jewish nation hostage, and had them as captives, right? In there. And then eventually, as we saw through some of the chronicles, uh, eventually there would be a time where they would, the remnant would go back home in a couple of different remnants, right? With Nehemiah was of the second or third remnant as they go back uh, to their homeland. But this is before the exile. And so the exile is in Babylon. Babylon is the one that's going to come in and seize the, the, the state and take the people. Habakkuk is saying, this just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand. These people are terrible, mean, evil. And, and cruel. Why in the world would this happen? The next few verses from verses 7 to 11, he talks about that he describes how destructive the armies of Babylon were. When they go into a city, they left it in ruins. Uh, again, like we talked about with Nineveh, uh, how they would do that. Um, the uh, Assyrians were known for how bad they were. Uh, but here's what, here's what Babylon would do. They would go in to a, a, um, a city. They would ransack it. They would take it apart, just leave it in ruins. And then they would attribute their gods and their idols to the success. So ultimately, the world would begin to think that Babylon's gods were better than everybody else's because they were stronger, right? The, Babylon's would, the Babylonians would come in, their armies would come in, take over everything. They would say, this is our gods that did this. And so then everybody would think the Babylon, Babylonian gods were more powerful and stronger and uh, they, were, they were the best of the best of the best. It's the reason why, if you remember our study in the book of Daniel, referring back to that, uh, which I, I know all of these can kind of run together a little bit in our minds, and it gets a little bit, uh, uh, it overlaps. And it doesn't necessarily, uh, for us, as long as we understand this is all connected, right? If you remember in our study of Daniel, specifically Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, the two uh, kings in there, they had to be told specifically who the God was that they were, uh, uh, that they were um, uh, dishonoring. So if you remember uh, the moments whenever Daniel went in to speak to these kings, 
He said exactly who God was. He wanted them to know because the Babylonians would just think their gods were so powerful. And Daniel reminded them, no, it's the Jehovah God of the people of Israel. Do not forget, his name is Yahweh. He is the one true God, Elohim, the only one. That's the one you've dishonored. And the reason he had to do that was because the Babylonians were known to make much of their false gods. And so they, they were clouded in their view. They were also the ones, if you remember, that would brainwash their captives. And whenever they would, they would change their names, they would change their, their identities of their... I mean, they, they had some, some gender mutilation, all kinds of things that would break down. That ultimately was the fall of Babylon, by the way, uh, whenever it became that far gone. I, you don't have to look too far in our, our day to see the fall of nations. Um, this is the pattern that falls. So um, anyway, that's those couple of verses. Then chapter, verses 12 through 17, uh, Habakkuk goes back to the Lord with a second complaint. This second complaint is where we see really the, the, uh, um, the, the heart of, uh, of Habakkuk. Here's what he says in verse number 12. Are you not from everlasting, uh, O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die? O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. But then he says, here's, here's where I told you, he kind of teeters on a line. Verse 13 says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Verse 13 is where you see Habakkuk's real problem. He says, God, you have the purest eyes, yet you are allowing the world to experience this. Is it, and it, 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 he borderlines on blaming God for allowing this to happen, right? That's, that's what he said. I mean, I'm going to read it again, so I'm not making this up. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil. He says, God, your, your eyes are too pure to see evil, right? You're holy. You can't see. Why do you idly look at traitors and then remain silent whenever the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He says, Babylon is more wicked than Judah. And yet, you are letting these traitors... What is the real problem? Habakkuk's... Now, and this is... I believe this is where we as Christians, we don't push to this far. We don't, we don't go into our relationship with God this far because we're, we're too afraid to, um, to be honest, right? This doesn't make sense to me. God, why is this happening? I don't understand. This does not make any sense with any way that I have to understand. And this second one... Again, he's trying to use reason to understand. He says, this is not a place that makes any sense. Now, he does start out, God, you're great. You're from everlasting to everlasting. You are, you've ordained judgment. Oh, rock, you've established them. For, you are the one in charge. But just, I got a question about this because it doesn't make sense in my head. And then he goes on and he, um, he begins to explain you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like the crawling things that have no ruler. In verses 14 through 17, he explains how Babylon is going to end up doing it. Babylon, if, if they conquer and conquest, just like every major uh, conqueror or, con uh, uh, um, or king that would go in and just try to take over, what, he, what Babylon is, is doing here, he says, Habakkuk says, Men are just like fish of the sea, and here's what those kind of people do. They just come in with their net, and they just catch the fish and move on to the next one. They don't care about human life. 
They don't care about people. They don't care about how their, their, their uh, wealth is built. They don't care about any of this. He even says, um, in therefore, in verse number 15, he brings them all up with a hook, drags them out with his net, gathers them in a dragnet so he rejoices and is glad, and then sacrifices his net to make offerings. And then he lives in luxury, and, the, uh, he is, and his food is the rich. And he keeps on, he says, listen, Babylon is no different. Why is this happening? It does not make sense to me. I just don't understand it. He's honest with the Lord. He goes to the Lord and says, help me understand this. This just doesn't make any sense. Then chapter 2 comes. Chapter 2 is the difference between... There, is, there, there are people out there that will... Uh, this, this trend that's been happening for a few years called the deconstruction of faith. It's people that have been in church, raised up in church, and then they get to the point where they have a bunch of questions to God. So then they begin to kind of take their faith apart. And they say, well, God doesn't make any sense here. This Bible doesn't make any sense here. This doesn't make any sense. So they begin to, to take apart their faith journey. And then here's the difference in Habakkuk and the people today. Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse number 1. Listen to what happens. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Here's what Habakkuk says. I'm going to position myself to hear from God. The, the, when he deconstructs his faith in chapter 1, he says, God, this doesn't make any sense to me. How can you, you're, I thought you're holy. I thought you were, how is this moral what you're letting happen? How can you say you're God and yet see this and not do anything about it? How can you allow evil in the world, God? Right? We, ever heard that question before? If God's so good, how can evil exist? Well, it must be not all-powerful. No, he's all-powerful. Then he must not be all-knowing because how is he letting this happen? It's this constant, it's the struggle we ask today. It's the way our world asks questions today. So Habakkuk says, here's my problem, God. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, however, here's what, so here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to look at you and I'm going to see what you do. I'm not going to go to the world and figure this out. Now Habakkuk is supposed to be prophesying to the people of Judah that the Babylonians are going to take over. That's what Habakkuk's message is. Babylon's coming. It's going to take my people. But Habakkuk says, I want to know from God, I want to see his character. I want to know him. Man, if we could position ourselves to want to know God better rather than wanting to know our circumstances and situations... We, our lives would be changed. He goes, he goes on. Chapter 2, this is where the Lord answers him. I love it, I love it, I love it. This is so, so good. He answers him in a couple of ways. And the first way, verses 2 through 4, I wrote down, this is the personal level. The personal level. Uh, this is, he says in verse number 2, that uh, write the vision, make it plain on the tablet, so that he, he may run who reads it. He says this, write down as clearly as possible. Don't put a bunch of flowery words in it. Don't put, here's what you need to know. The word is the truth and the truth of God needs to be as clear and plain. He says, put this, write this so clearly that when people are running, they can share it. This is, let me tell you the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is you couldn't get to God. God came to you. Jesus' sacrifice paid for the problems that caused you not to get to God. He rose from the dead and says, if you just trust in him, his righteousness, he did nothing wrong. All that gets put on you. That's, that's, the, that's the gospel. God says, make the truth as plain as you can make it. Make it as plain as you can make it. The truth of God matters to you. It needs to be easily read and easily repeated. Then he says in verse 3, 
for still the vision awaits its appointed time. You know what God says? I've got my timing. It's not your timing. He says, this, this vision that I've given you, it has an appointed time. I'm not telling you the time because it doesn't matter to you. The timing of this doesn't matter. The timing is mine. It's the timing of God, and it's personal to all of us. Listen, your time may not come yet. God may answer your prayer that afternoon. He may do it, and, we may, and then if He does, we need to rejoice in it. He may not answer your prayer for several years, and if not, that's okay. It's God's timing, but we need to rejoice in it. And we need to rejoice that God is moving. Even if our time isn't met, His time is. And he says, the timing matters. And, and he seems slow in verse 3. It gives the idea that God's time is slower than what Habakkuk wanted. Right? It's slow. It's, it seems slow. Why is God's timing so slow? Well, I believe there's a little thing in my mind. Now, this is probably my flesh. This is probably not the real reason. I think God's timing seems slow sometimes so that the enemy can rear his ugly head and make a fool of himself. That's what I think. I think that it gives, if, if it gives time, if we're praying and we're waiting, in that waiting time, the enemy's going to say, you know, he's wrong. You know, he's not moving. He doesn't listen to you. He doesn't hear you. Just like Habakkuk said, God, I've been crying out to you and you're not hearing me. And God's like, I've heard you. I'm at work. Who's telling you I'm not listening? Who's let me tell you something about that person. That, let me tell you something about that thought in your head. Let me tell you something about the enemy that's telling you I'm not hearing you. He's so wrong, and his day is coming. Don't you worry. And he's going to be mocked for how much he came at me. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be embarrassed so bad because of how he has treated you and my people. He says, if it seems slow, verse 3, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. I love it. His timing is good. Then verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by faith. That, that is repeated three different times in the New Testament, by the way. Um, Paul, one of Paul's favorite phrases in Romans and in Galatians. It's also written in the book of Hebrews uh, that the righteous shall live by faith. Um, this is God answering Habakkuk and saying this, God is trustworthy. God's trustworthy. We see that, that God's word is truth, and you need to remember that. God's timing is good, and God is trustworthy. We know these three things to be true. And the trustworthiness of God is telling Habakkuk, this is not an issue of your doubts. Your doubts don't cause you not to have faith. Your doubt is giving you an opportunity for your faith. He says, Habakkuk, it's time to have faith in me. You don't need to know everything. Habakkuk says, this doesn't make any sense to me. Help me understand it. And God says, you don't have to understand it. This is truth. This is truth. You trust me. I'm in control. I know what's going on. The soul is puffed up with him, the upright with him, but the righteous shall live by his faith, not by his understanding, by his faith. So he talks about it on this personal level. And then verses 5 through 20 in the end, to the end of uh, chapter 2, Habakkuk hears God, and God is talking about it now on a national level, so on an, uh, or even an international stage, if you will. Uh, so after he tells him on a personal level, now we see uh, verse number 5. I love verse 5 because it gives this beautiful picture into how the Scripture is tying with each other. It says in verse 5, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects all of his own peoples. Here's what he says. This is about Babylon. He says, Bab Babylon has a weak spot. 
You know what his weak spot is? Alcohol. And you say, well, okay, where do we know that? We know that from uh, multiple times in the book of Daniel. We know that whenever um, uh, in Daniel chapter 5, if you remember um, whenever the, uh, there, was, there was an issue, oh, they were having a party and everybody was drunk. Remember, whenever all, that's, if you go and look at the Babylons, Babylonians, they were constantly drinking all the time. And the leadership specifically, they would always throw big elaborate parties and they would get drunk. And so what does God say? God says, they, the alcohol to them is, is a moment to celebrate and party, but it's really going to continue to be their vice, their problem, the thing they can't let go of, and it will individually uh, in, in, uh, come back and bite them. It's going to hurt them. And here's what God says the rest of this in verses 6 through 20. He explains how these are, um, these woes to the Chaldeans, the the Babylonians. He said, listen, they're not going to make it. God is not going to overlook um, their issues. He knows their character. Uh, I encourage you to uh, read these and you can see and hear how Babylon takes advantage of people, how Babylon lives, what they do. Um, they heap up what the, what's not their own. Um, they're, they have debtors and they're going to eventually arise. They are, um, they've plundered a bunch. They've done all these problems. They've gained evil because they've, they've stolen from people. They have stolen people themselves. They've tried to sell people. They've had all kinds of big problems. And here is, here, so God says, I see them, Habakkuk. I know them. He's giving him this reassurance after he said, the righteous shall live by faith. So live by faith, Habakkuk. And here's why I'm trustworthy. I already see everything going on in, in the, the Chaldeans. Then he says in verse 20, oh, verse 20 so good. This is one of those underline it, star it, put, highlight it, whatever you do in your Bible. It says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Verse 20, let me tell you something. The Babylonians may in fact destroy Solomon's temple. The Babylonians are the ones that will come in and destroy the beautiful, beautiful temple that was built, that the, place, uh, that the people of Judah would go and worship. The Babylonians are coming in to make ruins of it. The Babylonians are going to come in and destroy Nineveh, and, and so bad so, it's going to be like Nineveh never existed. The Babylonians may come in and destroy the holy streets of Jerusalem that the people would go and to worship in. But you know what the Babylonians can't touch? The holy temple. They can't. The Babylonians are not going to be able to come in and touch His holy temple. Uh, the Babylonians cannot destroy the place of God's dwelling. And so the earth needs to recognize that. That verse says, let all the earth keep silent before him. Um, there's no weapon that's going to touch God. He is still on his throne. He is still the king and nothing is going to dethrone him. Then he goes into verse chapter number three. Chapter three beautiful, beautiful chapter as he wraps this up. This is a psalm. So Habakkuk writes, it's a prayer, but ultimately the prayer turns into a psalm. In fact, there is uh, even the word Selah is in it three different times uh, from verses 3 and 9 and then down in verse 13. And uh, this is a, Selah is a, is a term used in a lot of psalm writing, a lot of songs also in the Old Testament. That word means it's, it's an exclamation point. It's the part of the music, if it's musical, it's a part of the musical expression that builds and builds and builds. And then there's this moment of like major percussion, right? So it's a, it's a statement piece. 
And it's a, a piece that uh, one of the commentators uh, refers to this phrase as, there, what do you think of that? There, what do you think of that? Some, some uh, commentators think of it as a repeat. Let's just repeat that again. That's too good to not repeat again. So this prayer, this uh, beautiful way to end this chapter um, is awesome. The first two verses, listen to what uh, Habakkuk it says, uh, it says Habakkuk the prophet, according to the Shiganoth, this is a place, um, and, and that's, that's a certain time frame. Don't have a lot of time to dig into that. Verse number two, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the holy mountain, the holy one of Mount Paran. This is a, a moment where Habakkuk is surrendering. He says, listen, I, I'm surrendering to the person of God. He, he's told me the righteous live by faith. I've heard report of you, and I fear it. I heard report of you. I am surrendering to you. If the righteous live by faith, faith is about surrender and submission. And his tones, uh, in, as he begins this prayer, is recognizing God. You know, we talk about the adoration of God in prayer. This is him saying, God, you, you're, you're the best. And listen to what he sees. This is wild. First he surrenders, then he sees God. From verses 3 through 15, this, this reminds me of, of Isaiah 6, whenever Isaiah sees the king on his throne. These, these, the vision of what Habakkuk is seeing, and again, one of the reasons I love this, this book so much is because Habakkuk is dealing with God about a prophecy. He's not dealing with a prophecy um, to God. Or he's not be dealing with um, a prophecy to the people. He's dealing with prophecy in the, in the sense of his relationship with God, and he sees God. And, and the way he sees it, he says he came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. This is a place, and that word Selah means that, that is an actual physical geographical location south, just south of Judah. Now here's why this is important to us. There is a, a whole mountain range that is that, that escapes all around this area, from Mount um, uh, Paran to uh, Mount, uh, even where Mount Carmel is, there's this massive mountain range. And what uh, Habakkuk sees is he sees God coming from the south, from this area. And, and listen to the next couple of verses. It says, verse 3, it says, he, His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. In this, uh, in this text... I am seeing uh, everything is now, his mind has changed. He's no longer saying, I'm doubting and I'm wondering why God is doing this. I want answers. He, he takes his questions to God and he doesn't just get an answer to the question. He gets God's presence. And this is how he wraps it up. Listen to what he sees. Listen to this view. He's coming down from the mountains to the south of Judah. His glory is so overwhelming. It's overwhelming all the landscape. His splendor covered the heavens. You can almost see clouds rolling. Imagine looking at a mountain range and seeing clouds coming over it like a wave, okay? He's saying the splendor of God is rolling over all of these mountains. Like, you can't see past the mountains, right? You don't see any more. When you look at a mountain range, that's all you see. You don't see past it. And so what he's saying is from beyond where I can't see, I'm now seeing the splendor of God rolling in. And Habakkuk is over here and he's like, I've heard the things the Lord can do, and I am in awe of it. I am amazed by it. And he says, then I began to see his, his splendor coming. 
past anywhere I've ever seen before, past my vision, past where I can see in this world. He's coming from a different world, and his splendor is rolling in. And then it says in verse 4, brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand. There's flashes of lightning coming, blinding rays of light from his hands. He stands, he measures the earth, he shakes the nation. Whenever um, uh, what Habakkuk sees in this place is God showing up to take over the affairs of man. He sees this, he's watching it. It's this overwhelming presence rolling in. And his prayer, his psalm, begins to be one, like I would love to put some music to this and listen to how this thing hits. You know, there's certain music that just build and build and build and build. This is one of those building musical pieces. He says, brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hands. There was, uh, and there he veiled his power before him. Pestilence, plague followed at his heels. He's talking about the way that pestilence and plague that followed his heels. What that means is that was going before him. So now you see pestilence and plague comes on the ground, right? Clouds come from the heavens. So here's what Habakkuk is seeing. God is showing up from where I can't see. The clouds are rolling in. I can't see above the clouds either. I can't see past the mountains. And on, and on the ground, there's pestilence rolling. He's coming to overwhelm everything. Nobody's questioning now who's in control. Nobody is questioning which army is going to win. This thing is rolling if, if as far as I can see, as much as I can see, as high as I can see, as low as I can see. It's all God and he's showing up. It's this beautiful, beautiful thing. He goes on, nations are trembling, people are trembling, there is no doubt who is in control. He goes on, he keeps, he keeps explaining, the sun and moon stood still in their place, like the, the, the light of your arrows as they sped, flashing gl the, your glittering spear. This is now, this is a full attack into mankind saying God is not going to lose. There's a lot of end time prophecy feel here. This is God saying, it's over, I'm here. I'm here, my presence is here. This is overwhelmingly powerful and beautiful. He goes on, he continues to explain. I encourage you to read this, this chapter today. I mean, it, like talk about getting some thankfulness. God is good. Then he says, as he wraps up in verses 16 through 19, uh, listen to these verses. I just want to read these because we can hear the prophet. He begins to rejoice in this overwhelming praise. I mean, this is, um, he, he was, and here's what I want you to remember about Habakkuk. The first chapter, he struggled with doubt, with questions, with his faith. He's like, God, I, don't, I can't understand you. I don't get this. So he's the first part of Habakkuk, we see him struggling in his relationship, right? He's struggling in his relationship with God. Then we see God do some answering. And now, after God answers, we now see this prophet, the same one that was in struggle and doubt, is now praising and worshiping. If our worship services, and I'm not talking just here at New Providence, I'm talking all around. If the redeemed people would be honest with God in our struggles, hear him speak, watch him, or position ourselves where we can watch him work. Habakkuk positioned himself in chapter two, in the very beginning, he positioned himself. I want to see what God's doing. And then I'll let him be the one to answer me. Not the world. I'm not going to go to all the psychologists. I'm not going to go to the astrologists. I'm, I'm going to go to God and I'm going to see what God has to say because it's between me and him. God reveals himself, powerful, incredible. And now Habakkuk is worshiping so hard. Listen to these verses. This is amazing. 
It says, I hear, verse 16, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. He's saying this, I believe God, I believe everything he said, now I am afraid of him, he is the one I fear, my body's trembling, my lips quiver, I, I'm, but I know that quietly I'll wait for the day of trouble because God is going to do this and this is going to happen. Then verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the feeds in the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with the stringed instruments. He says this, even in the worst that's coming, even, he says, first off, my feet are trembling, my body trembles, my lips quiver. I, I, I feel like rottenness is in my bones. I feel like I'm totally broken down. But I'm going to wait because it's the Lord that's doing this. And then he says, he's the one that gives me strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on high places. He says, even as tough as the storm may be, God will bring me out of the storm and be able to experience him and see him. If we would worship and rejoice like we are in this in these last couple of verses, I see Habakkuk going from this broken man in the beginning. I don't understand you, God. He's on his face. He's weeping. He cannot figure it out. So what does he do? His name means he's, he's embracing. He's embracing the fact that he is, he is a broken man. He can't figure it out. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't know it. Isaiah, whenever he sees the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, as soon as he recognized that he was in the room, he was broken. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm ruined. I'm, I live among a ruined people. I can't believe this is how is it that, how is it that this God would have dealings with me? Habakkuk sees the Lord coming in from the mountains to the south of Judah, from the top of the mountains, as high as he can see, the pestilence and the plague following below. How is it this God? I am ruined. I am a man that is broken. I cannot even stand in his presence. But because God is the one of my salvation, I take joy in the God of my salvation. The God, the Lord, is my strength. He is like my, he's the one that raises me up. It's not me raising myself up. It's not my intellect raising myself up. It's not my power, my abilities that raise myself up. It's not my skilled uh, ability to be a, an orator of, of communicating. It is nothing that I can do. It's him and him alone who is my salvation. If we, a people who are redeemed, would say, he is the God of my salvation and pour out our hearts. The way he says this, the way Habakkuk says this, this is like if your pastor said, if I went in here and said, I have been broken down to the point of absolute desolation. I have been to the very bottom. I have, I've, been, I've been struggling with grief. I've been struggling with, with my, my own doubts and my own struggles, my own fears, but I have seen the Lord. And let me write this down because he told me to write it down clearly. Here's what God has done. Here's how I have seen him work. Here's what I have seen him do period. Now, I'm going to hand this over to the choir master with the stringed instruments. You know what I would say to that? If I'm bringing this incredible move that God has done in my life, and then I call up Pastor Trace, hey, I got a letter for you, and I want to sing it out loud.
That's whenever we become overwhelmed with the presence of God Almighty, the message is still rings true. Babylon's still coming. You realize, I mean, Babylon's still going to take the people and put them in exile and captivate them. They're going to, they're going to capture them. They're going to brainwash them. They're going to overthrow. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be evil. It's going to be terrible. But God's still on his throne. Babylon may capture Jerusalem, but he's not cap- Babylon's not capturing God. He's not capturing God's throne. He's not, nobody is. And Habakkuk rolls in this, look at his presence. It's too good. It's too amazing. And because his presence is so amazing, let's, where's, the, where's the musicians at? Where is the, the music at? Let's run through the halls playing this song because God is good. Habakkuk is honest with God. He's truthful. He goes to him with his doubts, with his fears. A lot of times we read scripture and we think, think of all these prophets and these uh, great men of God as these, um, uh, and women of God throughout the Bible as these heroes that just are, are so strong and powerful. And Habakkuk's over here saying, I don't get it. I don't get it, and I'm struggling with it. He's like, God, what, what is happening? You're not making any sense to me, God. And God's like, position yourself to hear me, and then watch me work. And then whenever he does, Habakkuk says, now that I've seen you, I'm going to celebrate you. Maybe, maybe we could take a, a, a note, a couple of pages out of Habakkuk's letters here and how to, out of Habakkuk's life and say, you know what, we're going we're to go to God when we struggle, but then we're going to look for him. And when we see him, we're going to get together and we're going to sing it. We're going to get together and we're going to praise him together. We're going to worship him together because he's good. He is good. Thank you so much for coming out tonight, uh, this morning, and and hearing uh, about Habakkuk. I hope and pray that you are encouraged through his faithfulness and honesty. Let's pray.